Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. All right, so mothering or parenting can be described in many ways, right? Some people call it a mission. Some people call it a dream. Some people call it, you know, a calling. Some people an adventure. Some people say it's a headache. (laughs) And the truth is that being a mom is all of these things and so much more. Now, I personally believe, as you look through Scripture, that being a mom or parenting is really a ministry, And the word ministry simply means that you are rendering a service unto God. And so because of this simple definition of what ministry is, we can understand as believers why we are all called ministers. Our lives are rendering a service unto God. Now, the means or the capacity in which we minister, it's going to look different for all of us, right? Even the amount of ministries that we offer to the Lord is different for all of us. But being a mom is a ministry. It's a way that God has chosen for you to serve the Lord. And if you are a person who has been given this ministry of parenting, sometimes it sounds incredibly overwhelming, and I totally get that. I mean, for some people, it's like terrifying to even think about being a mom. You know, when I was... I was not like a babysitter. You know, my parents would sometimes throw me into the kids' nursery at church, and I would be like, I don't want to take care of these kids. Like, they all have boogers in their nose. I don't want to do this. So I wasn't one of those women that was like, yeah, I want to be a mom. That's like my greatest dream. For some people, it's terrifying and overwhelming. And so when Chad and I got married, we got married super young. And so we waited a good seven years before having kids because, you know, we were waiting to be ready to have a baby, which is like completely a myth. You're never really ready. But anyways, I'll never forget bringing Caleb, our firstborn, home from the hospital. You know, at the hospital, he was like this perfect little baby. He was nursing really well. He wasn't fussy. He didn't really cry much. All was going well, and we bring him home, night number one, and he just cries and cries. And he cried for hours that first night, and I was just like, I'm going to cry too. So I did because I was crying from exhaustion. I was crying, you know, from frustration. He wouldn't latch on. You know, I'm like changing his diaper 30 times. Like, what is wrong with you, child? Please stop. You know, and I was crying more than anything because I felt incredibly insufficient in that moment. And I was also crying, I won't mention, because Chad Craig, the daddy, somehow managed to sleep through all this. I was like, dude, like, wake up and help me. What are you doing? But he didn't. It was so weird. But thank God my mama was there. My mama was there. She was upstairs because she had come to help her daughter. So I climbed up the stairs and I said, Mom, what do I do? And she said, give me that baby. Get back in bed. And I said, here you go. And I have no idea what she did. She worked some kind of grandma miracle on that kid. But I slept. I woke up the next day and the baby was happy. So was I. But, you know, 
all of us come to this ministry of being moms through different, differing circumstances, right? Some of us, like me, we came to it through careful planning and decision. Some of you came to motherhood by, you know, foolish decisions. Some of you by a total surprise. Oops, I forgot to take that pill, honey. Sorry. Some of you came to be moms through tears and years of begging God for a baby. And some of you through the kind heartedness kind-heartedness of adoption. But no matter, no matter how you got here, you are now in this ministry and you have an opportunity to serve God by raising children who are going to become men and women. And God desires that these men and women would learn from you how to also minister with their lives unto him. The service that you are rendering is to teach these kids to recognize God and how to live in relationship with him. And with all ministry, it's going to take faith to carry it out effectually. With all ministry. So if you have the ministry of being a mom, you've got to have faith. If you've got the ministry of being a dad, you've got to have faith. If you've got a ministry of being a school nurse, you've got to have faith. And today I want to talk to you about the importance of understanding that mom, it's by faith. So let's look at two moms in the Bible. Each of these moms raised boys to be men that God used in a very powerful way. But the journey to that destiny was vastly different for both of these moms. In Genesis 24, we meet Rebecca. Genesis 24, 4. Abraham is sending a servant back to his country to find a wife for his son Isaac. Go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Now the servant, you know, he's kind of like, mm, this is a heavy-duty assignment here. He's a little concerned about messing it up. So in verse 12, he decides, I'm going to pray. Smart, okay? And he says, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. Rebecca ends up doing exactly what the servant had prayed for. So he's like, light bulb, she's the one. And Rebecca has just stepped into the plan of God for her life. God has ordered her steps, has been working behind the scenes to ensure her future with Isaac. And the servant explains to her who he is, why he's there, and she leads him to her home. And there he makes her an offer. In Genesis 24, 34, he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly. He has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. So in a little nutshell, this servant is saying to Rebecca, leave your home, everything you know, marry a guy who serves God, 
he's rich too. Just saying that's not the worst part of the deal here, okay? She's not, listen, he's got all these servants. She ain't going to have to cook or clean. Guess what she ain't doing no more? Going down to the spring to draw some water. She's about to get to enjoy the good life. I mean, I want that. How many of you mamas want a cook in your house? Yes. How many of you mamas would love for someone to please figure out how laundry can wash itself? Yes. Okay. So the offer that she's getting, it's really not so bad. Sorry. This is why I don't do this very often. But anyway, the story goes on and says, her brother and mother replied in verse 55, let the young woman remain with us 10 days or so, then you may go. And then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? And she says, I will go. Now, Rebecca has just demonstrated faith, okay? Yes, it's a good offer, but it's really a risky offer. She's leaving everything she's ever known to marry a stranger. Now, he might be rich and all that, but he could also be a total jerk. She doesn't know. But she exercises faith, and she goes. Now, fast forward to now she's married to this guy, Isaac. And in Genesis 25, Rebecca finds herself barren. She cannot have a baby. Now, for a woman, a wife in those days, to be barren is the absolute worst thing that can happen to you. For you to not be able to do what God has created you to do, to give birth to a son, to leave an inheritance. Now, her husband, Isaac, decides, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God to open her womb. And God is faithful, and he does it. So Rebecca has now experienced the faithfulness of God in her life in two very huge ways. One, arranging her marriage and two, opening her womb. I'm guessing my faith is going to be a little bit built up if I see God's power in that way. The scripture goes on to tell us that she had a really difficult pregnancy. In fact, it was so hard, she found herself needing to pray and say, God, what is going on? The babies jostled each other within her. She was pregnant with twins, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Rebecca has experienced God's faithfulness. She has followed God to this place. He has opened up her womb, and now she also hears the clear voice of God. I mean, I'd love to hear that sometimes, right? He very clearly communicates to Rebecca the knowledge of his will for her boys. But, you know, instead of her faith getting bolstered and getting stronger, Rebecca actually begins to get nervous, she begins to lean on her understanding when it comes to raising these boys. 
She doesn't seem to remember that it is faith that has brought her here, and therefore it is faith that will allow her to succeed in this season. Rebecca started in faith, but she doesn't stay there. God reveals to her a specific plan for her sons. And you know what? It's possible that she felt like she should favor Jacob. If you remember the story, Jacob becomes her prized son. It seems that God has chosen Jacob, has made him special. God told her that Jacob's life would not go according to traditional plan. See, Jacob came out second. He's not the firstborn. Esau is the firstborn, and he's supposed to be the special one. Esau is supposed to receive the father's blessing. It is Esau who would be the head of the family. It is Esau who would receive a double portion of the inheritance. But God has told Rebekah, Jacob will be favored. So somehow through all of this, Rebecca is leaning on her understanding and she thinks, okay, well, if God has favored Jacob, then perhaps I should favor him too. And in Genesis 25, 28, it says that Rebecca loved Jacob. It doesn't say Rebecca loved Esau. Rebecca had something that I, as a mom, longed for. I would love for God to speak to me and say, look, this is the destiny, the purpose, the will of God for the life of my children. I would love for him to speak that to me. But instead of continuing to stay in faith and keep inquiring of the Lord, which is what she did in the first place. Remember, she inquired of God when she was having a struggle in her pregnancy. Faith caused her to say, I got to go to God. But somehow here, she forgets to inquire of the Lord. And she allows her own understanding to be her guide. God didn't tell her to favor Jacob. Her own understanding did that. God didn't tell her to coddle Jacob. Her own understanding did that. God didn't tell Rebecca to instill in Jacob a sense of entitlement or superiority over her, his brother. Her own understanding told her that. God didn't tell her to prefer one over the other. Her own understanding did. And her own understanding convinced her that God couldn't do his job. Just because God had orchestrated for her to go down to a spring one day where there was a man who was praying, asking God to bring a girl to this spring, didn't mean that God could handle the future of her boys, did it? Just because God could do the impossible and open up a closed womb, didn't mean that he could work out the plan that he had in mind for her boys, right? Just because God could communicate a very clear destiny didn't mean that he could also execute a plan to see it through. I mean, like, come on, God, just because you did all this and know all this doesn't mean that you can do all this. So she felt like God was going to need some help 
to get the job done. And no doubt, Jacob felt the favoritism of his mom. He felt that sense of entitlement from his mom. And so when he was presented with the opportunity, he was right there to take it. In Genesis 25, 29, it says, Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. But listen, in Rebekah's mind, this still is not enough to secure God's plan. So she leads Jacob a step further. She instructs him in the art of deception and makes a way for Jacob to live up to his name, deceiver. Genesis 27, it says, Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully. Do what I tell you. Go to the flock. Bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare food for your father. Then take it to your father that you may receive the blessing. Rebecca, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing, lady? But you know what? I'll give a positive to Rebecca. At least she raised an obedient son. I mean, I'm just saying, I would love for my kids to obey me like that because let me tell you what Jacob did, exactly what his mama told him to do. He did. He was like, okay, mom, here I go. And he just walked out of there and did it. I mean, I'd love for my kids to do that. I'm like, can you brush your teeth? Can you brush your teeth? Can you brush your teeth? Can you make your bed? Stop bothering your sister. Leave your brother alone. So I... There you go. She did something right. Praise God. But listen, Jacob's obedience to her unwise counsel cost him. It cost him the relationship with his brother Esau, who swore to kill him. I mean, I want my kids to love each other. Sometimes they say they want to kill each other, but it's like not for real. But this was like for real. (laughs) Later on, it cost him being given a taste of his own medicine when he's tricked by Laban into marrying Leah instead of Rachel. Laban also tried to kill him, by the way. And Jacob eventually does become Israel because God is so good that he's able to take all of our wrongdoings, all of our unwise movements, and somehow turned them around for good. But listen, the road to get him there was not easy. And God had to wrestle some stuff out of Jacob in order to get him to his rightful place. Now listen, let's not pretend like we've never felt like Rebecca. 
like we've never thought like Rebecca. Like we've never thought, I could probably give God a little hand here. In fact, all of us have found ourselves in a place where we doubt if God will do what he says he will do. And at times we even fear that God may not really know what he's doing. And we also make the mistake of leaning on self instead of staying in faith. Listen, being a mom can be frightening. Am I feeding them the right stuff? Especially nowadays, I'm like, dude, my mom gave me Kool-Aid every single day of my life. Now it's like, don't give them red dye. Oh my gosh, like that's all I had was red dye. Should I let them watch that show? Should I let them listen to that music? Should I let them join one more club, do one more activity? Should they have a phone? Should they be on social media? Should I give them an allowance? Are they ready to date? Am I working too much? Am I giving them enough attention? Do they know that that they're valued, that they're loved? Are they hanging out with the wrong friends? Am I nice? Am I too strict? I mean, my gosh, can I get some sleep from all of the thoughts in my mind about how I am messing up the life of my children? Are my kids going to be failures because of me? And isn't that our biggest fear as moms? That we are the determining factor behind their success or failure. You know, I think Rebecca was just a regular mom trying to do her best. But Rebecca's biggest mistake was trusting in self instead of trusting in God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, whether your way is the way of motherhood, whether your way is the way of having a business, In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Keep that always right here. Do not be wise in your own eyes. See, parenting is a ministry. And you've got to learn that you cannot depend on self to do it right. If you're going to give something to the Lord, render something to him, you've got to understand that you can't rely on your own understanding to give him something worthy of him. You can't be wise in your own eyes. You've got to exercise some faith. God is able to order the way for you, just like he did for Rebecca. And he desires to guide you and direct you in this season He's able to equip you to deal with every challenge that parenting brings. And let me tell you, it brings some challenges. He's able to empower you to overcome the areas of weakness that it brings to light. It brings to light a lot of areas of weakness. He's able to put you in a path with people who are going to undergird you and walk with you. He's constantly communicating to you that you are not alone in this. And if he's allowed you to be a mom, you are the mom those children need. And if you seek him, you will lack for nothing. You won't lack strength 
Even when you've only slept two hours, you won't lack wisdom to make the tough decisions that seem completely unfair to your kids, but you know it's best. You won't lack discernment about their peer group or what they have access to. You won't lack knowledge to instruct them in truth. You won't lack mercy when they break your heart. You won't lack grace when they mess up over and over again. You won't lack if you find him to be the source of all that you lack within yourself. Rebecca lacked a lot. And in that lack, she needed to remember, I have to inquire of the Lord. But she did not. And she made some mistakes. Stay in faith. Keep inquiring of the Lord and allow his voice to make your path straight. You've got to take time to pray. You've got to take time to read the word and allow his wisdom to get inside your heart. Listen, the stresses of motherhood make us all vulnerable to a lack of faith. All of us. The easiest thing to do is to allow stress to keep you leaning on self. But it's in those moments of stress when you should be directing yourself into the presence of the Lord. When you're frustrated and stressed as a parent, you've got to let that be your red flag that you have need of him. And then position yourself to receive from him counsel and strength. Listen, it would have served Jacob and Esau best to have a mom who demonstrated faith to them. And faith simply means I am weak. I don't know what I'm doing. I've got to have him do it for me. It would have served Jacob and Esau best to see their mom crying out to God and saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me out. It would have served Jacob and Esau best to hear their mom speak of the power of God, of the wisdom of God, building in them faith to trust God and follow his plan. It would have served Jacob and Esau best to simply love her boys and let God take care of the future. Rebecca started in faith, but she didn't stay there. Now go with me to 1 Samuel 1. And let's take a look at another mom. There was a certain man from Ramiathim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. I'm going to call her Penny. Okay. Hanny had children, but Hannah had none. There you go. See, let's call her Penny. Okay. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shallow, where Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were priests to the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to, to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penny, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, 
If you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Hannah finds herself in the same boat as Rebekah. She is a woman with a closed womb, and she's miserable. She's also got this thorn in her side of a second wife named Penny, who torments her every day, reminding her of her misfortune. Hannah, thank you for not choking Penny. I don't know how you did it, but good job, girl. Good job. Okay? Thankfully, she had a husband who truly loved her and who's devoted to the Lord. In fact, Hannah and Elkanah were people of faith. They were committed to the house of God. They were faithful there year after year, offering sacrifices to the Lord. They were committed. They were faithful. They were your pastor's dream church members, okay? Pastor Chad and Pastor Craig, they love some Elkanahs and Hannahs. Get here to the house of God. They would be like, I like those folks. Now, listen, I don't know what it's like to be Hannah or to be Rebecca with a closed womb. I've never dealt with the pain of infertility, but I can empathize and I can only imagine the kinds of prayers that a woman in that position prays. Listen to the wording of Scripture. It says Hannah was provoked, irritated, downhearted, she was anguished, troubled, grieved, miserable, but she was not giving up. She was praying in faith, and she was bold enough in her faith to make a vow that many of us wouldn't dare to make. Wow, Hannah, what faith. Hannah, You mean to tell me that after praying for years in anguish and in misery, you're going to make a vow to God telling him that you're going to surrender your son to him? That's the kind of faith that Hannah had. And listen, Hannah did not make a vow trying to manipulate God to give her what she wanted. She knew exactly what she was committing to the Lord. And God granted her the promise because he knew her heart was pure and sincere. God knew she had genuine faith, and Hannah would fulfill her promise to the Lord. Hannah started in faith, and Hannah stayed in faith. Hannah understood, if God is going to allow me to be a mom, to give me a ministry, something to render to him, I've got to trust him with it. Rebecca raised a son to lean on his own understanding, to try by his own might to carve out God's purpose for his life. Hannah surrendered her son in faith to the destiny that God had in mind for him. I can only imagine the day 
that Hannah brought Samuel to leave him at the temple. I'm sure it wasn't easy, but she had faith and she was faithful. And let's consider the benefits of her faith to her son. 1 Samuel 2.18 says, But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would dress, would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and, do- and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Let me tell you what is not the worst thing you can do for your kids. Allow them to grow in the presence of the Lord. I promise you that is not a bad thing to do. Making the house of God a priority, the presence of God a priority in your family is a wonderful gift to your children. Involving them early in worshiping and serving in the house of God will give the opportunity for the Holy Spirit, listen, not you, but the Holy Spirit to begin to move in the lives of your children. Listen, you don't have to try to manipulate them thinking God is good. If they get in the presence of God, they're going to find out God is good. You don't have to shove 13,000 scriptures down their throat every day to convince them that God is good. If you get them in the presence of God, they're going to find him to be good. The Holy Spirit is going to be able to move in their lives and stir in them. It's his ministry to do that, not yours. You're just to bring them to his presence and then allow him to stir in them the longing to know God and his plan for their lives. As all of you know, or many of you know, I'm a PK, a pastor's kid, which means I was always at church. And I'm going to grant you that there was seasons in my life as a kid and as a teenager where I was over being always at church. I was like, can somebody, can I like, can I be adopted by another family that doesn't go to church? But listen, It was in church that I first experienced the power of God. And it was in church that I first heard the voice of God. And it was in the presence of God where I received the calling of God in my life. It was growing in the presence of God that gave me a hunger to know him and to obey him. Hannah's faith allowed Samuel to recognize God and hear God for himself. This sacrifice of giving her son to the presence of God allowed him to recognize and hear God for himself. And listen, ultimately, this is what we provide for our children, the greatest need that they have. And this is the ministry of parenting that we will raise children who recognize God because of his work in our lives. That leads them to seeking him and hearing him for themselves. 
Hannah's faith demonstrated to Samuel the faithfulness of God. By surrendering Samuel to the Lord, Hannah was testifying to Samuel of the power of God. Notice that God gave Hannah five more children. Now, Hannah asked for one son. That's all she asked for. But God gave her five more. And notice that God, or later on in that same passage of Scripture, Hannah actually writes a song. And she gets a song in her heart that she sings to God about his faithfulness. And listen, our kids need to hear us testifying of the faithfulness of God in our lives. They need to hear us magnifying his power, exalting his goodness. Our faith needs to be loud for our children. They need to know that though we are weak, God is very strong in us. Our kids need to hear us worshiping him and praising him. Samuel saw that though his mother sacrificed a lot, God gave her a lot in return. Every time his mother came for a visit to the temple with his new little robe in hand, or big robe because he grew, (laughs) he also saw another full womb and he saw another little hand in hers. He got to see that God was faithful, that yes, she gave up a lot, but God was faithful to give her more in return. It showed Samuel that when you vow something to the Lord and you keep your word to him, guess what he will do? He keeps his word too. And he's able to bless you beyond what you ask him. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And if you're diligently seeking the Lord and you're receiving the reward of that diligence, that is exactly what your kids need from you. Hannah's faith exemplified to Samuel dependency on God. Listen, it's important that our kids learn to live depending on God. Our example of faith to our children is crucial if our faith is going to be passed along to them and to our grandchildren. One of my greatest desires as a mom, sure, I want my kids to be successful. Of course I do. Sure, I want them to marry you know, men and women of God. But more than anything, I want them to find faith as the anchor for their lives. I want them to see God, to hear him, to trust him. But listen, if they're gonna see him, they've got to see him in my life first. If they're going to hear him, they've got to hear him through the testimony of my mouth First, if they're going to trust him, they've got to see me trusting him first. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. My faith becomes the evidence of things not seen for my children. My faith. 
When my kids see God move in my life, it gives them evidence. When my kids see me and hear me worshiping God and praising him for how he's made a way for me, how he's given me victory, how he's given me grace when I didn't deserve it, how he has, you know, given me forgiveness for my mistakes, how he's moved mountains in my life, that gives them evidence. And this evidence instills in them the ability to believe and to hope for themselves. The substance, the fruit of my faith gives them a reason to hope, to expect that if God is good to mom, God will be good to me. If God is merciful to mom, God will be merciful to me. If God is faithful to mom, God will be faithful to me. I can trust the living God that is serving in our life and in our family. Amen? Without a doubt, the most influential factor in my faith has been the faith of my parents. Even to this day, the band, y'all can come on up if you could, please. Listen, my parents were not perfect by any means. They were pastors. Pastors don't equal perfect. They were human beings rendering a service to God, but they lived by faith. So my mom is a little lady. I can kiss the top of her head like this. Okay, from Puerto Rico, who was brought up in a very broken home. Both of her parents were alcoholics. They divorced at a very young age. And she grew up going to an all-girls Catholic school. And early on in her life, she actually felt God was calling her. And she thought for a time that she would become a nun. But she came to Christ as a teenager thanks to a friend who invited her and her sister. I think they were trying to hit on them, but whatever. The point is, they got invited to this open-air meeting. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. But back in the day, they would do outside worship in the streets and people would get saved wow my mama got saved and then you've got my dad he's from Columbia and he also grew up in a home with all kinds of dysfunction and he began experimenting with drugs and alcohol as a teenager and in his 20s he came to Christ walking into a church with a friend high out of his mind But he walked in and thank God that day, Jesus set him free. Now these two people living in different countries find Christ and God orders their steps so that my dad ends up going to Bible college in Puerto Rico where he meets my mom. They married and they began pastoring in Columbia. And they came to the United States for my dad to attend seminary and to plant Spanish churches. Both of my parents worked full-time jobs, sometimes more than one job at a time, along with pastoring and planting churches. And one of my favorite things to do with my dad is to get him started telling me some stories about their early days in ministry because it builds my faith. I keep telling him all the time, I really would like for you to write a book 
with all these stories to pass on to your grandbabies, that would be a really good thing to do. Because listen, they've seen the hand of God deliver them through incredibly dangerous situations when they were ministering in the jungles of Columbia, going out preaching the gospel to remote villages. In fact, when I was about three years old, they had gone to this little village where there was a very small group of believers that had gotten saved. And my dad and my mom were going out there to, you know, just teach them the word. And I got sick with a fever and there's no water, there's no electricity. There's certainly not a hospital anywhere nearby. There's a village healer, but there's a small group of believers. And those believers with my parents laid hands on me and began to pray and the power of God healed me. My parents have experienced battles in ministry that have left them with painful wounds. They've lived through marriage troubles. They've lived through the pain of having a son who walked away from Christ and dealt with imprisonment and addiction. Thank God my brother now serves Christ and he's ministering today with his wife and boys. There's been an incredible amount of ups and downs and they didn't do everything right, but there was one thing constant in our home. And that was faith. It was faith. Now, I'll never forget when God called us to plant dwelling place. It freaked me out. I was like, what? <laughs> like, we're already in ministry. Why we got to go plant a church? I mean, we just stay where we are. And honestly, I was scared. I mean, it was stressful to me to think that I'm going to have to obey God in this. And I called my parents. I called my mom. And I needed her to just download some faith in me. And she did that. And she does that for me today. So listen, no matter where you are on the journey, God says, trust me, follow me in faith. The ministry that you render to me must be, must be rendered in faith. Moms, God is not expecting you to be super mom. He is not expecting you to be perfect for your kids. He's not expecting you to have all the answers for your kids. He's not expecting you to never fail. Thank God, because I feel like I fail daily. He's not expecting you to never lose your temper. He's not expecting you to always have your house clean. He's not expecting you to keep every ball you're juggling up in the air. He's inviting you to expect from Him and receive from Him everything that you have need of. As a mom, I will not do everything right, but I can do one thing right, one thing. And that's the thing that will have the greatest significance and value for my children. I can live a life of faith. I can be the evidence of God for my children. My life can be substance for their hope in God. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.